You're tuned in to the Tin Roof Farm Radio Show, a podcast from Greenville, South Carolina, on all things food, beverage, locally roasted coffee, and craft beer. I'm John Malik, the lesser half of Greenville's best-loved chef couple, John and Amy Malik, and we're broadcasting from our Tin Roof Farm in Piedmont, South Carolina. Thank you for listening, and welcome to the show. Today's episode of the Tin Roof Farm Radio Show is brought to you by Dr. Mark Muncy, pediatric dentist. So when our kids were younger, they were patients of Mark's, and I remember how they used to love to go to the dentist. They were so excited. Every six months, you know, they'd pile them into the car. It was like we were taking them to the zoo or something. They were so happy about going to the dentist. And of course, when I was a kid, when my wife was uh, younger, you know, there are, we, we didn't have dentists like, like Mark. <laughs> you know, you just went to the dentist and it was... And it was akin to when I was little, it was, you might as well have said, come on, we're going to get tortured by Dr. Frankenstein in his, in his laboratory. And it was, it was, it was so much torture. And our kids, when they were, when they'd go see Mark, they were just so excited. Uh, Our kids don't see Mark anymore. They're, they're grown now. They're both in their twenties. And so um, they have moved on to an adult dentist, but they still have uh, fond memories of going to see Mark. And he is a great pediatric dentist. So he's uh, his office is on the Parkway near Michelin headquarters, right off uh, Pelham Road, near Interstate 85. Find him on the web at drmarkmuncie.com. So welcome to the show. I'm your host and retired chef John Mallet. Recently, I had a nice uh, conversation over breakfast with a good friend of mine. You know, and he asked me, "When am I going to get back into the business?" Of course. He, his his intentions were purely selfish. He just wanted to <laughs> he just wanted to come have dinner where I was cooking. <laughs> and even though I missed the excitement of the restaurant business, it's doubtful I would return. You know, I'm self-employed now. I'm a restaurant consultant, restaurant coach, and I help make restaurants successful. I've also come to enjoy my weekends. That is something that is very precious if you're in the hospitality business. There's long hours. Nights, weekends, holidays, anniversaries, birthdays, a typical, say, nine-to-five uh, career. Probably had the opportunity to celebrate uh, holidays and birthdays and anniversaries and all those important dates. But if you're in the restaurant business, those are work days. When I was in the hotel business or when I worked at the couple retirement communities, you know, it was nothing for me to work 10 days in a row, 14 days in a row, 12-hour to 14-hour days. That was just the expectation. Hopefully that's going to change, but the restaurant business, an independent restaurant, has a very slim profit margin. There are multiple challenges on a daily basis, and those challenges have to be met. Uh, There's staffing issues. Those have been around since probably the first restaurant. Small mistakes in costing or pricing can become magnified many times over if not caught quickly. And so uh, if you're an owner, then you've sunk some hard-earned cash into into a, a building. You've sunk some hard-earned cash into refurbishing a building and all that expensive equipment. Your inventory, the majority of your inventory, your food, has a very limited shelf life. So you get a case of broccoli in today, five, six days down the road, it's, it better be gone. All those multiple challenges 
I'm probably not interested in returning to the day-to-day -day operation of the restaurant business. Now what I do is I help restaurants that have a variety of challenges. Every one of my clients has been different and they've had different needs. But what I do quite often though is I talk people out of the business. Recently I had a conversation with this gentleman in, in uh, Charlotte. He's a airline pilot, he's about to retire, and executive level guy, probably you know, making a couple hundred thousand a year and been doing so for, for quite some time. And he's approaching his mandatory retirement age and, and lived in a small town uh, near Charlotte and wanted to take a building that he's bought and turn it into a restaurant. He didn't have a clear theme. He wanted to do uh, a healthy sort of sandwich bar, fancy Subway-ish thing. For lunch and then in the evening he's going to flip it over to sports bar with burgers and wings and play all the football games and <laughs> of course that's a horrible idea right and when i ask him why why would you want to do this why do you want to get into the restaurant business his first answer was my wife and i were going to need something to do and you know we like meeting new people and i was like oh my gosh you got to be kidding these are the worst possible reasons to get into the restaurant business so number one when, when people ask me, the number one reason you should get in the restaurant business is to turn a profit. If you cannot turn a profit, then everything else is lost. Doesn't matter how great of a Spanish tapas restaurant you have. If you're losing money on every plate, then you are not long for this world. So turning a profit should be number one. And that keeps everything else flowing. That makes sure that, that your staff's paychecks, when they bring them to the bank, that they don't bounce, that you're, you're able to buy a quality product. So anyway, I tried to talk this gentleman out of it. I really did. I'm not sure if I was successful. I really hope I am, though, because if not, I'm afraid he's going to lose a significant portion of his retirement. So that brings us to today's guest, who I was fortunate enough to actually talk out of the restaurant business, or maybe I... He probably talked himself out of it. It's my good friend, Ed Buffington. He stopped by Tinmu Farm recently, and we sat down and had a great talk and reconnected. For those of y'all that recognize the name, Ed Buffington is, is uh, he and his partner, Mike. They own and operate the Community Tap here in Greenville. All right, let's welcome to the Tinmu Farm radio show my friend, Ed Buffington, who we all know from the Community Tap. Ed, welcome to the <laughs> So congratulations on your success. Uh, we've been, uh, how long have you been in business now? Five years? Just celebrated eight years. Eight years. We Very opened, cool. Just uh, Yes, uh, July 1st, uh, 2010 is when we opened our doors, so we just celebrated an eight-year anniversary. And could anything be better than introducing beer lovers to a new beer? I mean, we probably, a lot of us in the audience probably think you have got the best job in town. <laughs> I, I would actually tend to agree. It is a pretty awesome job. Um, it, in addition to the beer lovers, also I really um, take uh, take enjoyment in introducing people to new wines. Craft beer, craft beer has been such a thing for so many for so many years, but now I feel like, and we've been in a golden age of, of beer, and now I feel like we're entering kind of a golden age of wine, in that people are being more inquisitive and they're being and they're being more experimental with the different types of wine that they want to try. And so that's been a lot of fun as well, is, is, uh, is showing, getting people outside their comfort zones and showing them that. So it's doing both. So are you speaking uh, anecdotally just from your personal experience 
that you, your beer drinkers that you've known that have been customers of yours for a while are now coming in and talking about wine or is this it's a... no it's actually two separate customers almost okay. uh, there's not that much crossover between a beer drinker and a wine drinker there's a little bit typically if somebody is a beer drinker that might occasionally drink wine or vice versa but now i feel like the general public is becoming uh, much more interested in, in in interesting wines kind of the way that people became more open to interesting beers seven or eight years ago so it's a similar trend that we're seeing that i'm seeing personally in this in right our, in our okay store. all right that's interesting Big in-depth question here, Ed. Why beer? Why not socks or charcoal <laughs> or shoelaces? Why Why are you selling beer? <laughs> uh, interesting. I, I got into beer actually before I really even turned 21, and I never considered it a – You did? Uh, yeah. <laughs> Shh, don't tell anybody. Um, but, but I literally started getting interested, really interested in, in beer itself before, uh, you know, when I was 19 or 20 years old. And never considered it a career path, um, similar to I never considered being you know, just food and beverage when I was that age was not considered a quote unquote real job. And my life literally, my experiences, I lived in Europe and experienced beer, beer culture there. I've brewed my own beer. I've worked in a, a brewery before, and it, really all just for fun. And then somewhere along the way. Actually, it was about eight, you know, eight and a half years ago. All of a sudden, this became a viable job opportunity, and I was like, "Well, let's just take a chance at it." I don't, I, I, so, I don't know. Well, maybe that answers the question. So, have you ever thought about selling socks? <laughs> no. <laughs> All right. I, I sold widgets for 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 many many years, and was horribly. It was just. It was never fun. It was never passionate. And all of a sudden, I found here, this beer was a topic that I could really get behind and get excited about, versus any any other little, like I said, widget. Right. So so now, didn't you originally think about um, when you were considering switching careers? Didn't you originally think about the restaurant business? I did, and, and thankfully, <laughs> you you helped talk me out of it. So I, ultimately, after multiple conversations with different folks, I got cold feet and decided not to do that, which was probably the best move that I could have made. But I think that was the perhaps the the, the beginning of the realization that I did want to be in a service oriented industry, right? Which ended up being beer, and, right. and wine. But was not the crazy hours, you know, that the uh, that, that a restaurant would have taken. Well, now I I didn't actually actually talk you out of it, but I offered you uh, the opportunity to come in and work with me for a day, and so you could and that would give you the ability to make up your own mind. And um, what happened that day? Did I come and pick you up or? Uh, no, I think I, I came in after uh, I think I came in after a shift in my in my day job and did a dinner service with you uh, at 33 Liberty and right. had that realization that, uh, that it, it, it's a lot harder than it looks. <laughs> so. And it was about 11:30 at night, right, when you came that really <laughs> and, and getting home and I was like, wow. And then I get yeah. home and I, I smelled like food and my shoes were greasy and I was exhausted. Yeah, I, I remember you you and your wife were uh, were no stranger to the restaurant. And you came in one day, and and uh, and we were chatting, and that's when you said, "Well, I'm considering the restaurant business, what do you think?" And and I kind of scratched my head, and I said, "Tell you what, why don't you come in and work with me one day?" And um, and I remember you called me like a week later or something like that, or maybe stopped in and said, and you said, "You know what?" <laughs> I'm gonna- I'm gonna look elsewhere. <laughs> yeah. it, it was it was the best cold feet I've could have gotten. Yeah. So basically, Greenville owes me a debt of gratitude because I was the impetus for the community tap. Ultimately, <laughs> yes. I'm kidding, of course. <clears throat> so Ed, do you do you remember? Now we were talking about being introduced to beer, but do you remember your first beer? I don't remember my first beer, 
but more importantly, I do, however, remember my first craft beer. And that, okay. that was a, and I remember exactly where I was. I remember exactly what I was doing. I was on my way to a fish concert in Chattanooga. I was driving from a, oh, there's another thing, open container in the car. I was driving, <laughs> I was driving from Atlanta to Chattanooga. With and a, the beer was in the trunk. Beer may not have been in the trunk. Um, but I was driving from Atlanta to Chattanooga with a friend of mine and who asked me, hey, do you want a beer? Of course I want a beer. I'm 20 years old and I'm making really bad decisions. Um, right. <laughs> hand me a beer. I'm going to drink while I'm yeah. underage uh, behind the you know, it's one beer. So anyway, he hands me a beer and I take one sip of it. And I, I, that's my epiphany moment. When I looked at him and I, 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 I was like, inquisitively, I'm like, what is this? And he, he goes, well, it's, it's pale ale. I'm like, no, no. What do you mean? I'm like, what do you mean? What is, what's pale right. ale? He goes, this is Sierra Nevada pale ale. And that was the moment that the light bulb went off in my head when I realized what beer could be. Because up until that point, as you know, as a college student, I drank yellow fizzy beer, you know, generic domestic sure. lager like everybody else did. And all of a sudden I had a beverage in my hand that that completely changed the way I thought about beer. And from then on for the next and that's why so we're going back, you know, twenty plus years now, um, that's when I realized that beer could be could could be really interesting. It didn't have to just be fizzy you know, busy yellow stuff. Cool. Good story. Uh, you know, I grew up in, in uh, New Orleans and we drank Dixie beer and Dixie beer was a, was a, I guess it was a craft brewery, you know, what we would call a craft brewery at the time. Very limited uh, distributorship. Maybe you could get it in Mississippi and, and parts of Arkansas, but that was about it. However, it was a traditional American style lager, but I can remember my first real craft beer was an Angerstein mm -hmm. and like I was like you I was like what on earth is this and that's um and that was actually I think Anchor was quote-unquote the first American craft brewery you know the mates of Chris, sure, yeah, right. Chris Maytag he rescued I mean we actually owe in really quite frankly the Grossman family Ken Grossman he'll, they'll say this they owe Chris Maytag a huge debt of gratitude because he the uh, he helped get Sierra Nevada's quality under control so quality as we know it, Sierra Nevada as we know it today would not exist without the without Fritz Maytag and, and Ankerstein. Same family that uh, makes the Maytag um, or, or did they make did. the Maytag appliances. Yes, they did. And yep. Yep. the Maytag blue cheese. Oh really? Yeah. yeah. Oh I didn't know that. Yeah. How about that? So it's a really influential family. So being in love with beer, did you ever find yourself behind a bar? Did you ever attend bar somewhere? I never attended bar. Um, I did a variety of jobs. I usually was more. Uh, I did. I did front of house stuff, but I was never a bartender per se. Um, I bought. I worked various uh, weight you know, weight jobs here and there. Um, mm -hmm. I worked in the in, in the catering company um, in Atlanta for a while, and that was kind of like my biggest foray into food and beverage. Um, I did you know, when the very first craft when the laws changed in Georgia back in. Gosh, I want to say around 94, around 1994, a small microbrewery opened up called Marthasville. And I was really into beer at the time. And I thought, wow, maybe, maybe I, mean, I was, I was home brewing. And I thought, wow, maybe, maybe beer is a business that I want to be in. Maybe I should be a brewer. And so I went out and knocked on the door and walked in and said, Hey guys, you know, I, I want, let me just volunteer. Let me see what this is about and volunteer. And I learned very quickly that it's one of the hardest jobs around. It's thankless. Um, all you do is clean. And you get really, really sweaty. And I, after about two weeks of volunteering, you know, doing, I, I was kind of like being in the restaurant industry. I was like, yeah, right. I, just, I don't want to work this hard. 
I'm way I'm way too soft. I just I, I don't want to work that hard. I'm gonna go back to home brewing and I'll figure out something else to make money with. Yeah, I, uh, I know a couple of the brewers in town, and uh, and they and they would wholeheartedly agree with you on that. But it's, but the cleanliness part is is critical. Absolutely. When you're when you're making hundreds of gallons at a time, yeah. I mean it is you know one one small step wrong and you could ruin. You know, an entire. I learned that the hard way. In fact, I stopped home brewing because I, I was not very. Um, I didn't keep things super duper clean. And after you pour out a few batches of beer, and I was only brewing five gallons at a time, as most home brewers right. do, you pour out a couple of batches of beer, and you're like looking at that money going down the drain of a bad batch. You're like, oh man, that, that was that's a bitter pill to swallow. So I just then I just started buying good beer. Did you have a mentor, somebody that when when you were getting ready to open the tap, or when you when you um, started thinking about it, was there was there a mentor in your past, or was there a uh, a shop that you've been into, a, um, something that was similar to the tap in somewhere else? There actually really wasn't anything as far as uh, what we we kind of at least definitely for Greenville, there wasn't a model for us to follow. Mike and I just kind of. Um, you know, Michael Kopensky, my partner and I, we we kind of did it as we went along. We made up a new business model because because a, a, a craft oriented beer store did not exist in Greenville anywhere. It really the there was one other one on the other side of the state, uh, the Charleston Beer Exchange. I think they maybe set the example that you could do just craft beer. You didn't have to carry the you know the macro. You didn't have to sell Corona Light in order to make ends meet. You could actually have a viable business, but we didn't know anything about their store. I'd never actually, I've never literally never set foot in that store before we opened ours. Um, so there wasn't that. I did have a friend of mine who was one of the founders of the wine store in Charlotte, uh, a guy named Keith Messick, and he was he was if, if anybody was a mentor so to speak, it was him. I would call him and ask questions and run ideas past him and he would kind of give me a little bit of feedback. But other than that, no, we, we really uh, kind of blazed that ground completely on our, our own. Well, that's, that's neat. So um, walk us through a typical day on the job. What is, what is life for you like? Cause we know uh, it's not all, all fun and games and smiles and. It's mostly fun and games and smiles. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah. I, I, a day in, a day in life for me is I get to walk my son to school um, I come back, I make a cup of coffee, I check some emails and hopefully get a little bit of exercise in on my bike and then head over to the, you know, so after, after replying to a bunch of emails, then we go and a large part of our day at this point is now dealing with vendors and dealing with brewery representatives and winery representatives and their respective wholesalers. And, uh, in the early days we did everything. It was Mike and I, we did, we did that. And then we were on the floor stocking every bit of beer that came and wine that came through the door and pouring every growler that was poured and every glass of beer, we did it all. Uh, and now thankfully we're lucky enough to be able to, to delegate some of that out. So the day-to-day operational stuff inside the store, making sure that everything looked good and everybody gets the beer that they ordered and whatnot. Um, yeah, that, that's left our employees, but now we've moved into that, you know, that kind of classic, it's a lot less hands-on to the day-to-day business. And now we're just trying to manage the kind of steer the ship, so to speak. More strategic. Yes, yeah. absolutely. And, and figure out where, where are the next projects coming from? What's the next thing that we're working on? Yeah. So, so what are your goals for next year? What's, uh, can you, uh, share anything? Hopefully we'll have our second location open by, 
actually, I'm not going to say a day because it won't happen if yeah, I say yeah, a day. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, hopefully sometime next year we'll have a second location, which will be located right off of the Swamp Rabbit Trail near downtown. So basically if you were um, uh, if you're at Liberty Falls Park and you went north on the Reedy River by about a mile and a half, there's a string of warehouses there, and we're in the midst of redeveloping one of those with a couple of partners. So we'll have a second location in there. Very cool. Yeah. So that that's that's the goal for 2019. Um, I've I, I dropped off a bottle of wine here earlier called Cicada Song. Um, that's a collaborative project that I've worked on. Uh, you know, the community tap has worked on with an importer friend, Philippe Bourgeois. Uh, hopefully, we would like to continue to develop other products and bring them to market in a similar fashion. So where we work with him to find wines in France and import them. So there's another. That's another option for for 2019. Sure, very cool. Yeah, very cool. Let's pretend now you've got a day to yourself, mm-hmm. right? Uh, immediate family, yes or no, doesn't matter. But no phones, no phone calls, no nothing to do. What would be ideal for you uh, if you had no responsibility outside of your immediate family? Uh, go for a really long bike ride. Uh, have a great meal. Road bike or mountain bike? Uh, depends on what time of year. If it was in the winter, mountain uh, mountain bike. Fall, winter, and road bike. In the summer, it's road bike. So it could yep. be either or. I love okay. I love both. And also depends on where we are in the country. Where are where are we in the world? Are we in Greenville, South Carolina? Sure. Yeah. 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 You just got a day here. It's just, just one day. One day. <laughs> um, yeah. Just I, I think the ideal day is you know, a, a nice bike ride, t- time with the family, a great meal, and drink some really delicious wine. Okay. Yeah. Very cool. It sounds good to me too. So did you? If you brought your bike, we can you know <laughs> we can jump on later. All right, Ed, remind us of your location and your hours and any special events coming up. Uh, well, the special events were actually, it's interesting. Uh, I was looking at our calendar, and between now and the end of the year, we are loaded with special events. There are so, uh, obviously, you'd have, really have to look at our website. We have so many special events coming up. It's and your, your website is? TheCommunityTap.com. Mm-hmm. Uh, we are located at 217 Wade Hampton Boulevard, just on the edge of downtown Greenville. Ed Buffington, thanks so much for coming into the studio today. We'll be here at the Tin Roof Farm. We took a a few pictures while Ed was here. And uh, if you want to see pictures of uh, him with with Tom the turkey, (laughs) so just go to tinroofffarmradioshow.com backslash the community tap. Or just search when you get to the Tin Roof Farm radio show. Thank you so much for coming in, Ed. And uh, we will see you behind the bar. Thank you for having me. So before we say goodbye for today, we'll share a little bit of news with y'all, a little bit of uh, food and beverage news. Uh, you know, my wife and I, we keep honeybees. We have four hives, and we're not strangers to be well uh, supply in Pickens, and that's where we get all of our honey supplies. Recently, they had an open house, and that's where we met Brian Doughty. Brian owns Wandering Bard Meadery, and he makes mead. That's M-E-A-D. Mead is, is honey wine. It's uh, At its most basic, it's, it's honey, water, and yeast. Brian makes all these cool meads that he infuses with peaches and blood orange and blueberry and black cherry and, and, and Carolina Reaper, and it's really neat stuff. He ages it a minimum of three months, some of them as long as six months, and you can find some of his meads at the Community Tap, uh, plus places like uh, Crafted, the Beer Store in Simpsonville, and the Lowe's Food, uh, and I believe at the Swamp Rabbit Cafe. So look for Brian to be a guest uh, on the Tin Roof Farm radio show shortly. Thank you so much for joining us. Find us on the web at tinrooffarmradioshow.com, and there you'll see links to our sponsors and to people like the Community Tap and to 
and the wandering mead and and uh, you can read all about us as well the tin roof farm radio show is a production of jack russell social media and our music is all gussied up by john star cluster thank you for listening